Turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, go to verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. I don't hear pages turning. Better rattle some just to get me going. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. You're already there. All right, Mark 12, verse 41. We're going to read four verses, or a few verses. And he sat down opposite the treasury. That, that should be a capital H. I don't know why in the world the writers didn't do that. I should have done it, because it's Jesus. I capitalize he when it's talking about Jesus. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. Don't forget that. That food money went in there. Money for the electric bill. Money for the gas bill. Money for gas, for a vehicle. You understand what I'm saying? The things that she was going to need to get to live on, she decided to throw it. How many of you know that a penny would not take care of all the rest of that stuff? Wasn't going to do it. Amen? There's a point to that. We'll get to it. Today I'd like to speak to you on the issue of significance. What matters most? There's an incident towards the, this is at the end of Jesus' natural life on earth. I want you to think about that. It paints a picture of what significance is and what it is. Jesus is about to take on the sin of the world. He's about to be nailed on the cross. He's about to die. He is about to face the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. That's one of the things he saved us from was the wrath of God. Did you know that? We weren't just saved from hell and the devil. We were saved from God's just wrath on sin, right? <clears throat> There's an incident towards the end of Jesus' natural life that paints a picture of what significance is and what it isn't. You know, so often we're belittled by others. I know that I'm the only one that's ever suffered that. Being belittled by others. We're often made to feel small by people who think they are somehow better than we are or stronger than we are or smarter than we are, or something like that. The author and speaker, Tony Campalo, one, uh, one time told a story, and I have, I've told this story so many times, but I, I love it so much. He told a story about his wife, Peggy, a stay-at-home mom and housewife. Mr. Campalo used to be on the faculty for the University of Pennsylvania, and there were frequent gatherings when the university faculty members would bring their spouses and socialize. Inevitably, Peggy would be asked by a faculty member or another spouse, what is it that you do, dear? Peggy would reply, and God helped me get this right. She would say, I'm socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the theologically prescribed utopia inherent in the eschaton. And I don't even know what eschaton is, <laughs> right? And she could, she could spit that off, you know, without even checking a, a note. 
I have to read it every time. I can't memorize that. I'm not that smart, right? In other words, she was raising two kids with Christian values to make a difference for God in the world. It's easier, but you got to admit it sounded cool <laughs> the way she could do it, right? Whatever the other person said would just sound small compared to the dignity Peggy Campalo gave to her role as a mother and wife, right? If she said back to him, and what do you do? <laughs> if they weren't prepared, they couldn't answer in the level of style that she could. So what is significance? These are questions I wrote. What matters? What is important? Listen to me now. Am I important? Does what I do matter? You can ask that about yourself, everybody in the room, amen? Look, look, let's look at these questions today from this Bible passage point of view. Today's short story simply retells Jesus describing a small event in the last week of his life. What's interesting is that Mark takes the time to record it. I, I thought that that was unusual. Mark liked miracles. Mark liked talking about the big, huge things that Jesus did, right? And Mark wrote the shortest book of the, of the Gospels, right? He wrote the shortest one, but he decided to include this, and the others didn't. Matthew didn't, and John didn't, all right? <clears throat> John, who spent most of his time recording Jesus' words, didn't write these ones down. And Mark, the shortest of the Gospels, usually jam-packed with miracles and healings and stories, records this teaching of Jesus. Mark considered it important enough to put into his short book. So listen to this. So between Jesus' last teachings, including this, and Mark, including this, I really believe there's something very, very powerful here for us. There are three simple thoughts about significance that are found in this story. Point number one, put it up. Significance may have a small audience. Jesus alone saw what she did. He watched. He saw. Then he called his disciples to look too. Only Jesus in all the world saw what the widow did. Only Jesus. You see, in the temple, there were 13 trumpet-shaped boxes designated for different offerings, for destitute children, for the poor. There was one for the temple, and so on and on and on. There were many of them, right? Wealthy religious people wanted attention when they gave offerings. They wanted people to know what they were doing. But no one ever noticed what the poor, when the poor did it. There was never any fanfare. There were no trumpets blaring. It went unnoticed. Yet Jesus saw, and he called his disciples to look and learn from it too. You have to know that Jesus sees what you do. Jesus sees what you do. I don't say that as a scare tactic, though it can be used as such. I mean, you know, I mean, you think about it. <laughs> Jesus sees what we do. Amen? I say it to let you know that even if nobody else notices the good that you do, Jesus does. Even if nobody else cares about the small things you do because they are the right things to do, Jesus does. Jesus sees you in all you do. He's watching even if no one else ever will. So take heart. 
Grab your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. How many of you know that means sisters too? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'm adding this, even if no one else even knows. What you do is not in vain. It's not pointless. It's not meaningless. It matters to God, even if nobody else will ever set eyes upon it. Go to Galatians chapter 6 with me. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You will reap what you sow. That is, what you plant, you will grow. That's good or bad. That's just a principle in the world. You're going to get a harvest. You may not like your harvest, but you're going to get one. If you do things to please God, that's what you will do. You will please God. Sometimes it's hard to do the right thing. It has costs. But the costs of not pleasing God are a lot higher than the cost of pleasing God. So it's worth it to live to do the right thing no matter how hard, no matter how unnoticed it is. Your life may have a small audience, but in the end, it's the only audience that matters. Number two, significance is not always found in abundance. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. How much? How much did the woman give? Well, let me give you some biblical units of currency. She gave a mite, which is worth two lepta, which was worth a quadrantus. Her might was one-sixteenth of a soldier's pay. That's not a huge amount for a soldier to spare for an offering. However, she was not a soldier or a government employee. Do you understand that throughout time, soldiers not only got paid, but the government made sure they had a roof over their head and food to eat. They didn't have to buy those things out of the salary they got. This woman had to pay for those things out of whatever she got. Maybe she was a housekeeper, I don't know. Whatever she was, she wasn't getting much. Can you say amen? So her might was probably a major portion of what she earned in the run of a day. In fact, Jesus said in verse 44 that she had put in everything she had, all she had to live on. That's what Jesus said. This, folks, is sacrifice. That's sacrifice. She gave till it hurt. Some give what they will not miss. Some give what doesn't hurt them to go without. Someone once said that when it comes to giving, some people will stop at nothing. This widow was different. She didn't just stop at nothing. I mean, she gave her food money away. And Jesus commended her for it. You see the economics of God's grace. Listen to this. How grace works. What God considers important is this. One lady putting in a penny is worth more than a rich man putting in a thousand times that much. 
In God's scheme of reality, a penny given by one person is more valuable than $100 given by another because significance is not found in the amount of money put in, but in the amount of heart putting it in. Jesus said that attitude is far more important than amount. A person can put in a little or a person can put in a lot, but what God cares about most is the mindset of the person, which is wonderful relief to those who can't afford a lot. Can you say amen? Each and every person can be generous even if their amount is less than someone else's. Amen? Whatever you do, whatever you are, whatever you have, little is much if God is in it. Why? Because God doesn't keep track of the same things we do. If you think that this sermon today is about money and what you put in the offering plate, you're totally and completely wrong. It really doesn't have anything to do with the money. It has to do with what we do and why we do it. And if you restrict it just to money, or you accuse me of being a money-hungry preacher, I'm not a money-hungry preacher. There's nothing, I, there's nothing more than I think this church. So I look at what you do and I go, Father, how are they doing this? You, you give above and beyond. You, you bless the church socks off, and we are praying about getting ready about what do we do with it. Hoarding it up is not the answer. Amen? Do biblical things with it. Now, here's what I ask for prayer for. Point number three, tears my heart out, and all I get from the Holy Spirit is it is supposed to. Point number three, significance is often hidden by silence. I never saw this before. Notice whom Jesus told about how great the woman was doing. He told his disciples, notice who he didn't tell. Who did Jesus not tell? If you say he said anything to that woman, you're adding to the word of God. The Bible doesn't say that he said a single word to her. Jesus did not say anything to this woman. The Canadian author Sigmund Brower comments on this in his excellent book, The Carpenter's Cloth. He says, we can only imagine how much his words might have helped her. A woman who faced the continual struggle of frugal lonely days until death claimed her fragile body. Even as she passed within the distance of his voice, Jesus said nothing to relieve her of this desolation. In his wisdom, he knew what is easily forgotten by those who give for reasons other than simple faith. Faith marked by self-surrender for her act was surely that makes any burden light. With her focus on God instead of for her own concerns, this pauper widow had no need for an immediate reward. Now listen, I looked and I looked and I looked. I wanted to find somewhere in there where Jesus went to her and hugged her and did something, said something to her. You know, complimented her. No, nothing. But this I do know. Without a single doubt in me, without adding anything to the word, I know that God took care of that little lady. You know God, in his compassion and heart, took care of her and dealt with those things that were important. How many of you know if she didn't get food, 
If she didn't get sustenance, if she didn't get warmth, if she didn't get a roof over her head, she would suffer. Even though she had given all that she had in that offering plate, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that God took care of her and did what was most important for her and did not do that which he knew might harm her. You see, God never let you know. God may never let you know in this life the lives that you have touched with your faith and through your deeds. He may give you small glimpses, but you will likely never know the full impact of your life in this life. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, it says, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I will tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. Even a small forgotten deed on earth will be proclaimed loudly in heaven. We don't know what the world would be like without us, but God certainly knows. God knows the what might have been. Our significance cannot be seen with our physical eyes, but only with the eyes of faith. We have to believe that God rewards what is done even in private. Our significance is found in the fact that we are alive and made in his image to do good works. That's it. Let me close with the words of Francis Schaeffer, a wonderful man of faith. He had been speaking about the story of Moses and how Moses' rod became the rod of God. You remember the story. God took Moses' staff and used it for his own purposes. Schaefer says there are no little and big people in the true spiritual sense, but only, think about this, I've got to read this again to you. Schaefer says there are no little and big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. That's it. Two kinds of people, consecrated and unconsecrated. You know what consecrated, consecrated means? We set apart for God. There's those that are set apart for God and those that are not. Which would you rather be? The problem for each of us is applying this truth to ourselves. Is Francis Schaeffer the Francis Schaeffer of God? So I wrote, or more importantly, is Carl Dennis the Carl Dennis of God? Is this church the church of God? Does it belong to him? Is it consecrated? Because there are a lot of unconsecrated churches out. They got a shingle over the door, but no life. No life. This is what brings worth to our acts of service, our worship, our own widow's might given to God. Folks, you can see, I ain't got no business leading worship. I love to do it. When someone brings us someone who's better, when God brings us someone who's better, I'm giving it to them. All right? I got, there's no ego involved. I just want to worship God. Amen? I appreciate the talented people around me here, or we'd have nothing. Am I doing it for him? Am I consecrated? Is the thing that I do consecrated? That's what brings value and significance. Listen to me. I know that sometimes you can't say things without sounds like you're sounds like you're throwing rocks. People will, oh, he's talking about so I'm not, I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm not talking about people. 
But I know this for a fact. And every church suffers from it at some time or another. There are people who don't attend the churches they used to attend because they never got recognized for their ministry. And I'm not, I'm not trying, you know, I, I think all of us have fallen into the trap at one time or another in our lives. Don't they know what I've given up? Don't they know what I've sacrificed? Don't they know what I've done? How could they not know the, all the wonderful things I've done? And, and it sounds so petty, even me hearing back, echoing off the back wall, you know? But people do it all the time. And then they blame the people they left behind for not giving them what they thought they deserved. So what do you do? You better pray for them. Because if you sit up breath in your body, you could fall into the same trap yourself. We all could. Amen? I'm just going to tell you this. We are, we, are, we are studying the Word of God in the church because we all want to be discipled by God. We want to be discipled by Christ. That's what I challenged you with in the beginning. That's what we want to be here for. We want Christ to change our lives. So we're hearing. I'm telling you, when I saw that, I thought, well, that's not the Jesus I, I thought I knew. That was my first thought. But Jesus, the Jesus I knew would go over there and commend that woman and make her feel better. Jesus did not go over there and say anything to her. Trust me, he had his reason. And it could have been possible that he would undo all of the blessings that God was going to shower on her for a totally and completely, in her mind, unrecognized act. But you know, I, I, I don't like to over-speculate about the word, but if, I, if I'm holding the last penny of my life and I need money, I mean, i got to buy food, I've got to do this. I've got to keep the roof over my head. I've got to at least get a blanket. I've got to at least do something to sustain myself. I've got to hold on to this, and then I've got to spend it wisely. No. She took her last penny, took it to the temple, and threw it in the offering plate. What better bank could she have put it in? What better investment could she have made than to throw it in the plate and just trust God. When we get to heaven, we will know her story. We will know what lengths Jesus went through that day to secure her. Do you understand what I'm saying? He did not do more than he was supposed to to secure her future. But I believe Father sustained her. I believe that. And when we get to heaven, we're going to know her story. Now, I'm going to pray. I love to pray. And I find myself at the end of these services just being undone. I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to be the one giving the messages. And, and you know, then you do an altar call and you pray for people and we get stronger. Amen? No, God's dealing with me. He's knocking my socks off, you know. And so what I, I end up doing, I pray for me. I pray for all of us. I pray for us all. There's no one in here that this message does not affect. That, that doesn't, you know, oh, that message, that wasn't for me. No, 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 no. Come on. I don't have to be led by the Spirit of God even to know that this sermon was for all of us. Amen? I used to carry a piece of paper around. 
legal-sized page, small print, write down everything I wanted to talk to Jesus about when I got to heaven, and she was one of them. What happened to her, you know? One day, I took a piece of paper out and I tore it up. And I threw it away because I knew when I got to heaven. And I stood before the Lord and nothing in that paper was going to matter. I'd get to learn all those answers, but I wasn't going to have to whip it out and read it off and test Christ. Can you answer these questions for me? No. We'll know those answers. It's going to be okay. I look at that little woman and I ask God, why did you even let me be their pastor? Found myself having to give everything over to God again. I'm not going to apologize for the word of God and what it has me say to you. I'm not going to apologize to you for having stood before you and telling you, I'm just getting undone. I get completely undone by the word of God almost every day of my life. If I could get anything across to the world, if I could cut a piece of truth out of my heart and give it to everybody, I would tell them that they need to be getting ready. Christ is coming back. Life Spring Bible Church not only needs to get ready, the whole world needs to get ready. I can tell you one more thing about this message is that God's told me, take the petty things and flush the toilet. You know? And, 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 and say people that aren't in their churches anymore, this one, whatever. Those people should be high on your prayer list. Right next to you. Amen? Pray for ourselves. We pray for them because they cannot see the harm that they're doing to themselves. Can't see it. Well, I keep telling people that the changes that are happening in the church, even the way we end our services, there's got to be some time where if we don't take the time to consecrate ourselves before God, then what we've done is we've had our ears tickled and we, you know, oh, that sounds good. You know what? I need to go do that. No, you need to do it now. You don't need to go and do it later. Yes, you can go and do it later, but you need to do it now. And then go and do it later. And then go and do it later. And then go and do it later. And go and do it later. It, it's the rest of your life while breath is in your body. You know what? God is God. And, and I don't know what happened to the little old lady that day. I don't know what happened to her. They threw that money in place. But no matter what, God is a just God. I love this new song I'm learning. Even the water goes over my head. That doesn't change what you said. You know? If the ship had sank with the disciples and Jesus on board in that storm, we'd have just seen the first submarine. 
Because Jesus wasn't going to die on that boat. He wasn't going to let anybody die on that boat. If it sunk, it would not change what he said. What did he say? Let's go to the other side. And that's what he intended. And that's what's going to happen. 